Daily Wisdom Words. Daily Wisdom Words. Daily Wisdom Words Podcast, a writing based podcast that takes you into the minds of writers. Yes, and we give you a whole lot of discussion. Let's get into it. My name is Rene O'Day. Welcome to the second part of our Daily Wisdom Words interview with Catherine Mellon. For those of you not familiar with the Daily Wisdom Words, it is a writer's online community of poetry, articles, artwork, music, book reviews, and so much more. We invite you to join us every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, where we will be talking to some very distinguished authors, each one specializing in a topic you do not want to miss. Hey, everyone. I am Neil Turetti, and I will be your co-host. We want to thank you for joining us today and give you a very warm welcome to our latest Daily Wisdom Words podcast. We're both excited to be a part of this and sure you will be too with each of our fascinating guests every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. We also want to give a shout out to all the Daily Wisdom Words members who are listening today. We want to say thank you to Monday Abu, our producer, for coming up with this awesome idea. Want a sneak peek at all the guests that will be joining us in the future? Go on over to our website, dailywisdomwords.com, where you'll have full access to our podcast page, which will be updated every Wednesday morning by 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. On that page, you'll see the name of the upcoming guests who is scheduled for the next episode. And the podcast page can be found in the drop-down menu of our website, dailywisdomwords.com. Not only will you see the upcoming guests, but you'll also be able to submit a question you want. You can also submit any feedback and suggestions you have for the podcast. We want to hear from you. When submitting a question, be sure to enter your email address. And remember, if we choose your question to be asked on the next podcast, you'll be getting a surprise gift from us. We will announce your name and what gift you'll be getting on that very episode. For today's episode, it is an honor to once again have author of poetry collection, Survivor's Mind, and a person who's the epitome of strength, courage, and resilience, Catherine Mellon. Hey, Kath. Hello, thank you for having me again. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for coming yeah, on. It's an honor. For round two. <laughs> we knew when we had you on last week that a, sing- a single week would not do justice to your story. So we have to have you on back again. Kath, you were a child of unspeakable abuse whose mother and brothers allowed it to happen. Then one day you ran away from a house full of monsters. You were 11 years old. It is also the age you wrote your first poem. Do you remember it? Or could you please read it to us? It is beautiful. It's called Flying Free. Flying high as a bird can be, a silent cry as the bird flies free. A desperate scream as the bird goes by, all broken dreams built on goodbyes. Flying high on his own, trying to forget all the sorrow, facing the world all alone with his lonely days of tomorrow. Flying high at his own pace, flying high and flying free, knowing someone somewhere is taking the place of a bird once played by me. Wow, that is unbelievable. And you were how old? 
I was 14 years old when I wrote that poem, and that was me describing the morning that I ran across the street to a friend's house. Okay. Um, I would like to tell our audience that you have a blog called Shatter the Silence by Catherine Mellon. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I started that blog in 2018 after the detective from the Lowell Police Department had called me to inform me that they did find the well dug out hole in the cellar of my childhood home 37 years later. Um, and that was right when I, I, I knew I had to tell my story and not so that people knew what happened to me or so that I had pity because nobody talks about it. You know, I, throughout my life, I've gone into oh, so many and online communities where you find all these statistics, but never the actual truth because nobody ever talks about it. We're always silenced. And, you know, when the pity is easier to look at than what the communication will tell, we as children are told to move on and forget. As adults, we are told to forgive. Yet we live our whole lives searching for forgiveness I'm sorry, we live our whole lives trying to forget something we will always remember and search for forgiveness in what is so unforgivable. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I wow. agree. So um, will you please tell us the story of winning a poetry contest at the age of 19 and why you decided not to receive your prize? Yeah. Um, as, a, as an older teenager, I started sending out all my poems and poetry, and I was getting awards like crazy. And at age 19, I, I won a contest that was presented by Ed McNan, um, the Tonight Show talk host. And I was all excited. I was, we booked the, um, the hotel to go down to Maryland and stay for the night. I brought myself a nice dress. And just days prior, my children's father at the time, um, had said to me, actually, we, di we didn't have any children then. I was only 19. But he had asked and questioned me, what would I say to the paparazzi? Now, if you remember, paparazzi were very well known back in the 1980s and early 90s. Yes. And my answer to his question was, they're not going to ask me. And he made a comment that you become a famous writer, paparazzi find everything out. And my throat went down into my stomach. And yes. I never went. Oh. That that one incident changed my life, and I became. I went off to become a secret in a in a drawer. I would write in a journal and stick it in my nightstand drawer where it stayed. Oh, so I wow! Today, I have like thirteen journals. Oh wow! Do yeah. you remember the poem that won? The one that Ed McMahon chose. Oh yes, that was um. Don't drink and drive. Wow. Oh. I wrote about a friend who was 19 years old who had um, died in a drunk driving accident. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. And that poem will be coming out in my next poetry book, which will be out next year. I can't wait. Yeah. That should be a delight for everybody to read. I actually just edited it all last night to make it all ready and, and complete. It's all set. Yeah. Yay. And I, I just sent out the first part of my memoir. Um, Right in my memoir, because there's so much, I actually took the first few years of my childhood and put it in the first book. That way, um, readers would have the option on whether or not they wanted to read such graphic 
in-depth graphic details of childhood sexual abuse. And that is something that I did write in my memoir. I actually sat down and wrote my life in three-month intervals, starting from age five. And I just went on and I did not leave anything out at all from every attack, assault, um, you name it. It is all in there. And it, it was very traumatizing to edit um, or even to write. And um, I'm working with a great publisher right now who's been very, very sincere throughout this whole thing. So, so any, any idea of uh, uh, any preview of when our listeners uh, and viewers will get to read the first part. When will it come out I'm approximately? Out. I'm hoping to have that out um, by fall. Um, starting this past, a couple of weekends ago was actually the 40th anniversary of when I ran from my home. So within the next year, between August of this year and June of next year, uh, when the unsolved murders happened in my hometown. So as I emailed the publisher, it, you know, it's a must. I must get the first half out by this fall and have the second half out by next spring that we can bring the awareness back into the city of Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, Kathy, what is the first half of the book called? Uh, Childhood Tragedy Under a Mother's Watch. Okay. And the second part uh, is called The Life Given to Me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is about the schedule, but I'm going to transition because you mentioned the anniversary coming up of uh, uh, be, running away from home. And I believe moving, uh, you were raised on Fletcher Street, is that correct? So one of the homes I lived at, the other one, one was Pleasant Street. And one of the fascinating things that we touched on last week, but uh, we, uh, the listeners might appreciate a little bit more details on because it's so like, Fasc um, not fascinating, fascinating would be, disturbing would be the right word. You mentioned your abuser dug a hole into the cellar wall and there were pictures and videos of you uh, in the nude and having horrible things. I mean, stuff that I'm even having a hard time saying. So describe a few more details on that hole. I mean, what was the deal with that? Um, on Fletcher Street is where I first met my abuser. Um, my birth mother had brought him home and the abuse started instantly. I do remember, I was five years old. And the reason why I was able to figure out my ages is my baby sister was born when I was six and a half. So that made me realize I was actually five and not six when my abuse started. And he started with the camera. He would have pictures developed. And he would show me pictures of myself with gray tape over my mouth and zip tied because he would put a cloth over my mouth and put me to sleep. Um, before we moved from Fletcher Street is, I was seven years old when he stopped using the cloth. Um, and I could see the pictures and the video. As the years went by, we moved to Pleasant Street and he graduated to a Polaroid camera and a um, tripod camcorder. And those continued throughout the years, no matter, I mean, they were in a drawer. My birth mother knew they were there. I cried to her about them all the time. And what happened is in 1981, I was getting older. I was fighting more. I was wearing double clothes, like a pair of sweatpants or a pair of pants. I was double tying my shoelaces, wearing multiple shirts, just so that he had more of a challenge of taking the clothes off of me. And I was now chasing my birth mother out the door whenever she would leave me with him that um, he was getting scared of me talking. And the thing is, I was drilled to believe that 
he was friends with the school, the police, and, you know, I mean, the things he told me that street poles had um, microphones and speakers on them, so he would hear me should I be out and talk about it. So I was also so instilled in shame and silence that I was also scared. And at age 11, it was uh, the week after Easter, I my birth mother was leaving for work and she didn't wake me up. So I immediately jumped up and ran out my room, but I smacked dab right into him who was standing there. And he gave me, um, to, he counted to 20 to let me hide on the first or second floor. He wasn't allowing me down the stairs. So I ran up to the attic and, you know, I, that was what my repressed memories were of that last attack. It was something I blocked out for over 30 years. Um, but I hid so well that day that when he did find me, um, I was so severely beaten. Um, it was my two brothers that took him off of me and I had to be carried down into my bed and I stayed in my bed for weeks as I healed. My face was deformed. I had broken teeth. My ribs, one day I woke up thinking somebody did a black marker on my ribs and my birth mother laughed saying how they were broken. That's why they were black like that. And I insisted how she had to take me to the hospital, but she claimed that broken ribs healed on their own. And she actually took photos of my badly beaten body with his camcorder, not for the police. She took the photos for him to remind him what he did to me when he looks at all his other trophy photos is what my mother, what my birth mother would call them. And after I healed, it was, um, I was walking around the house a little bit. I mean, my ribs were now green, yellow, and, and brown. And I was looking for my mother throughout the house when he informed me she was down cellar. And she was down cellar. And mind you, I had not been down in that cellar since my birth mother had ordered him two years prior to stop bringing me down there. And so when I went down there in that cellar, my birth mother was standing over a pile of locks. And that's when I was shown this, the hole in the cellar wall. And it was for me. It was my punishment because I had a big mouth. And I ran up the stairs that day and the door had a lot of deadbolts on it. So I wasn't sure on how to unlock it. And I just ran up to my room where I stayed up the whole entire night until the next morning when my birth mother came in, she had moved because I had my bureau block in my bedroom door. And um, she came in to let me know that I would be home again with him for the day. And I said, no, no. No, he had been in the night before. He had given me some sex toys telling me that we had a lot to catch up on. So that's why I had dragged my bureau and I ran. And when I ran to my friend's house, I must have blacked out about that cellar wall because I forgot about it for over 30 years. And it was my repressed memories that reminded me about it. And that's what sent me to the police station. Oh, so you ran to a friend's house and then they took you to the police station? No, no, no. I, she did call the cops. The car, um, detectives pulled up at her house, but I was still on the theory that my abuser was friends with the detectives, so I would not go out to talk to them. Uh -huh. And instead, the woman called my, my birth mother at her job, and it was that phone call is why I'm still here today, because later that day when my birth mother got me, her first question was, what did I say to my friend's mother? And rather than saying I didn't say anything, I had told my birth mother, I told her everything. Mm, thank God. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. 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 Wow. Being, 
And, you know, my life got very difficult and tough without a doubt. I mean, I had no family. Uh, it was, there was a lot of tears throughout my teenage years, but I always reminded myself that I didn't, I, I fought to not be abused anymore. It was a fight that made me lose out on my family, but it was a fight that made my abuser never touch me again. And so it was worth the fight. You know, Absolutely. it definitely was. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So he hid um, the photos and videos in the wall. They were all buried into the wall. My birth mother had told me that um, when I was 12 years old and I was returned to work for, for a few months. And um, what happened is she got me a babysitting job and I ended up telling the babysitter about my childhood who then confronted my birth mother and I was thrown out of my birth mother's house that night as a 12 year old. So yeah, and you know, I guess wow. that is- Your friends are good. It was your friends that took you in? Yes. So you went from friend to friend to friend? I had 19 homes between the ages of 11 and 18. At age 18, I got my own apartment. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, I mean, and this is why, you know, in the the beginning of this episode, we uh, called you the epitome of resilience and strength, and which, I mean, no better proof than uh, the outcome of all this and where you are today. However, unfortunately, as you've said before, uh, three girls weren't as lucky. You've talked about that before, right? They, they went missing that summer and went missing in 1992, I believe, right? Um, and you are convinced that her remains are still there. So can you tell us what what makes you think that? Well, at the end of August, um, well, Go back to June. Uh, my birth mother had abandoned me at her cousin's house. After throughout the whole summer, after failed uh, phone calls from her cousin, this cousin had brought me back to my birth mother's because school was about to start, and I was really actually happy to go back home. Assume I assumed my abuser was no longer there, and as soon as I ran up to the front steps, I saw him in there. So I would not go inside the house. Um, at one point, I was only in front of the Pleasant Street home for a few minutes that day. But at one point he saw me and charged after me. And my birth mother threw me into a car and went and abandoned me at another friend's house. But that same week, uh, right across town from where I was abandoned, a young 13 year old Janice Philemon went missing. And um, one thing my abuser always said, cause he let me know that I was alive because he was keeping me alive. And there was no, he had no intentions of letting me live past my 12th birthday. And one thing he always said that he would keep were my arms. He had a sick, he, a sick mind. He was a very demented sick man, but he was always um, in love with my arms. He would rub my arms like crazy and tell me how he would keep my arms. And um, this girl, Janice Philemon, sorry, I'm trying not to break up, but um, she was found almost 10 months later in April of 1982. And um, her limbs are missing to this day. So um, shortly after she was found, my birth mother moved out of the Pleasant Street home within weeks. And my abuser was allowed to stay in that home with an oldest, with one of my oldest brothers. And just weeks later, a young girl, a young mother, 17 year old, um, woman from Lowell, Massachusetts, Brenda Lacombe, 
went missing from the North Common area where my abuser always praised was his stalking ground. Uh, my, one thing my abuser always did was drill in my head of the people that he hurt before me, um, how they were, who they were, and his stories never changed throughout the years. Um, so I do believe that he had a part to do with this one because it was from his stalking grounds. And she was discarded in a manner that he was praised, always praised to me of, um, just tossed to the side of the road. She was found on June 4th and the very next day, uh, Judith Chadia went missing. And along with Judy being remaining missing, her remains have never been found. Her car is also missing. And my abuser had a son who lived in Florida who would come up to Massachusetts and drive cars down for his father down to Florida. Um, this investigation has taken many leads for police, including driving down to Florida on, on leads that they could never pan out. Um, Judith worked on Chelmsford Street. My abuser also worked on Chelmsford Street. Um, Judith, like me and the other girls, were all short with brown hair, brunette hair. Um, my abuser was on a crusade to silence me and he dug that hole out for a reason. And I do believe that's what's stopping me from hiring a private investigator from going into the cellar because I do believe that they will find the remains of Judith Chadia in that cellar. And um, I, I hope that they don't, but um, deep down, I, 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 I'm afraid that she is, yes. So, um, um. Yeah, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot, um, you know, I've always had a survivor's guilt and my whole life I would go to the library and look at newspaper articles from 1980 to 1981, not realizing that I had blacked out a whole year. And once I did my first Google search of 1981 to 1982, those months, June 1981 to July of 1982, those girls lit up on my screen and yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a whole time reality and yeah. Do you think with in this day and age with um, cell phones and, um, you know, uh, towers that ping and we all have a cell phone, do you think this would have happened as bad or do you think it would have been a deterrent for of your abuser? Um, I don't know because, you know, the way society went ran back then it was so much different you know if you heard a child being abused you just shut your door and you ignored it and you know that was sad that that's how it was back in the day and you know society and family it was the way of the world you know we're told to move on and forget you know and it's it's sad it's really sad because I wasted over 30 years trying to belong to a family that I never belonged to you know and it's, it's so many aspects that go with it, the emotions, the spiritual, the, you know, this psychological abuse that it does to one mind, you know. I remember a friend of mine was getting married and I couldn't wait to go to her bachelorette party. I was so excited to go and come that day, I had just had one of those bad days where a memory of my childhood came and I thought, oh my God, what if somebody acted? questions me about my childhood and I ended up canceling going to my friend's bachelorette party and you know it's happened to me so many times throughout my life because 
You know, they say, if you have nothing good to say, then don't say anything. But yet I was always questioned, why was I so quiet? You know, Mm -hmm. I understand. Well, um, because of that, um, you wrote, and I love the poem you um, wrote before you go. Can you share that with our audience? Tell them, tell the audience a little bit about why you wrote that and what um, part is yours? Is it the... Um, it's the Before You Go is about me. Um, I was 15 years old and my birth mother had picked me up from a group home I was at because um, I was living at a friend's house and we were skipping school a lot. So my friend got picked, we got picked up. She went home. I went to a, a foster home, a group home. But after being there for just a few weeks, they decided, realized that I didn't belong in a troubled, uh, a group home for troubled youths because I wasn't a troublemaker. I was just trying to live my life, you know? And sure. they, they called my birth mother to come and pick me up. So she came and picked me up. I was out in Boston and that long ride to Lowell, neither of us said any word to each other. And when I got back to her house, I went in with her and it was a stranger's home to me. You know, I didn't have a toothbrush holder there. You know, that home was not my home. And I had questioned her about going to the police and we had gotten into a really, really big fight about it. And She ended up going to another room. I went into the kitchen where I just looked at her kitchen knives. And I thought about, hmm, I could just stab myself in the neck and it'll be all over. I could slice my neck, all my wrist. And then I thought, well, with my luck, I would survive and it would hurt. (laughs) But then I also realized I did not want to die. I wanted to live. And it was all I wanted to do was to live. And I just wanted to, you know, people to know what happened to me. I, want, I was 15 years old and I wanted to tell my story, but I was always shunned and, and turned away. So this poem is actually not only for me, but it's for all of us that, that struggle um, with this lifetime because, and that's just it. Childhood trauma doesn't end when childhood ends. You know, it has lasting effects that linger throughout our lives and, And so I wrote this poem. And do you mind if I read it? We would love it. Please do. Before you go, just hear me out before you decide to end your life by suicide. I'm left behind and want you to know I want to feel your pain before you go. Tell me in tears how you feel if the words you say don't help to heal. Before you go, just hear me out. My life without you would be all about. A hole in my heart, my life... uh, my life avoid, my eyes fill up, my world destroyed. I'll miss you so much, it hurts you know, just hear me out before you go. It isn't about strength, courage, or pride, but a courageous battle you try to hide. A desperate scream, no end in sight, a decision is made, you fight the fight. Just know I love you before you go, so I'm not left behind, hoping you know. No matter the the decision you do decide, in life and death, I'll stand by your side. Wow. Wow. That's you beautiful. are amazing writer, Kath. Amazing. And that poem is an excellent uh, reminder uh, to everyone that, you know, there are times when everyone has to go through a struggle over one thing or another. And we want everyone to know that you guys are not alone. Anyone who's struggling with anything, they're never alone. And if you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, don't, please. You are loved. You are, someone loves you. Someone cares about you. Your presence will be missed. And we'd encourage 
anyone either who's having thoughts of suicide or knows someone else who's going through that to call 1-800-273-8255, the national hotline. Thank you. Thank you. One thing about suicide, when I hear somebody say that a loved one has committed suicide and they call them being weak. And I never understood that because suicide is one of the most ballsiest thing that somebody could ever really, really do. And it's a shame that life can actually push somebody to that point. But having suicidal thoughts, it does not make you weak at all. It does not make you weak. You know, and that's something that I hope people truly do understand. Well, we're glad that you're still here with us and that you're writing books because I wish at 19 you would have gone to meet Ed Mann. Oh, I do too. I do too. Oh my goodness. The books I would have out by now, you know. I know, right? Oh. So. Wisdom, daily wisdom words, definitely. All of my books will be sent there. I'll be oh, sending great. them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, you're, you're a, a member of Daily Wisdom Words, and that's how we got to connect with you in some of your wonderful poetry, your wonderful writing. Can you tell, uh, share, what, what has that uh, meant to you, being a member of Daily Wisdom Words and sharing your, some of your magical words with everyone? Yeah, it's not just a website. You know, you guys are a family, without a doubt. I mean, Samantha, she brings you in so welcomingly and you know, the trauma that she's lived through and everything, and she can still warm the hearts of others. And, you know, all of you, Monday, Neil, Greeny, I mean, and Barry, my God, I love that guy, oh, Barry. I love Barry. It's just, it's so welcoming, you know, it, it's really nice, you know, and I advise everybody to, you know, without a doubt to, to join Daily Wisdom Words because it is a great community. It really is, you know, you just don't, you don't meet people you meet friendships and the friendships become family, you know? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> you summed it up better than we could. I know, absolutely. <laughs> right? I know. Well, you know, I joined Great. and I love poetry and I write a little bit, nothing like Kathy. And when we met, there was this instant connection because she's Irish girl and I'm Irish. And so we have this thing and now she's a friend, you know, how many miles away? 3,800 or something, but she's in my heart. So. Wow. All your addresses. So I'll be sending you all my Christmas book for um, Christmas. You're so sweet. You are so sweet. sweet. Thank you, yeah. Kat. Thank you. Um, Wow, I, I couldn't call this an episode just like last week. I have to say, this brings us to the end of a very two-part experience uh, with uh, a very special person, Catherine Mellon. So, Catherine, it was such an honor and such a experience. I don't even know. I don't even have the right words to describe it. But uh, we were just honored, and we hope that your story of hope and courage reaches out to all of the listeners out there and know that they are not alone. Most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. They can always reach out to me. I've had many, even, I mean, you know, it, child abuse trauma doesn't just affect women, it, it affects the men. And I've received so many private messages from men and women who are thanking me for coming out and, you know, making them 
face their childhood and whatnot. And I'm glad, you know, even if I help just one, uh, I'm glad. And that makes me happy. Absolutely. Keep writing. Keep writing. So. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be weaving some webs with uh, my next couple of books I have coming out. Awesome. So. And you're going to be famous. And just smile for that paparazzi. Oh, wow. That's nice. So we want to thank everyone for joining us today and listening. And Amande Abu, our producer, visit us at dailywisdomwords.com and sign up if you're a writer of poetry, fiction, articles, or anything else. For just $10 for a lifetime membership, no dues, take part in our article writing prompts, our Wisdom Word blog, build your own social media profile, and make sure to use our mini Facebook app to send and receive your request and responses to meet other writers just like you. And just uh, once again, Kath, can you remind people of your blog? Yes, it is called Shadow the Silence slash a life given to me it's with mighty networks and you can find everything from a briefing of my memoir to some inspiration some poetry um the journey along the way um you know the aspects that one feels um growing up as a statistic in a world full of of abused children and we want to remind everybody that if it has happened to you or you know of someone to please call 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-656-4673. Yeah. And remember, next week, we're going to have uh, author and inspirational speaker, Bobby Coons. So don't forget to submit a question for Bobby by Wednesday of this week. And in order to do that, go to dailywisdomwords.com, click on the drop-down menu, and click on our podcast. You can also leave a question when you see Kathy's episode on YouTube. If you want to comment, uh, comment on that episode when it airs, and also leave a question for Bobby in the YouTube comment section. Uh, once again, that's dailywisdomwords.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and all the links are listed below. It's been Bye. such a pleasure, Kathy. Such a pleasure. Thank so you. I hate to say goodbye, but we'll talk. <laughs> yes, we definitely will. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a good day.